What's up, everybody? Happy 2023. Let's get the podcasting started here on Rhymes with Orange. Myself, Evan Budgervich, and Billy Liggett will be interviewing people all semester long from now, basically through the month of May. We dove into some neat topics this past season. Now in 2023, we want to dive more into personalities, people, their stories, why they are the way they are, and what brought them here to Campbell. So what better way to start with an international story that has a Campbell flavor to it? Vidit Vagila. He's a GA for the men's tennis program. And Vidit, he was a great tennis player himself. Competed at Monmouth and Buffalo in the States. He grew up in India, moved to the United States to play tennis, then went back overseas and competed for three years, competing overseas in what they call the ITF Futures Tour. It wasn't the most glamorous tournament of all time, and Vidit dives into that, but he's come back to the States now as a coach, one, to work under David Johnson, and we dive into how he figured out about Campbell and what made Campbell interesting and the coaching side of it. We also dive into the mental aspect of the sport of tennis. For those of you who aren't as familiar, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Roger Federer, those are the big names, and we touch on their impact, how that helped in the Indian culture growing up watching elite tennis. And then two, the mental aspects of the sport. There are doubles and singles, but it's a lot of individualized training and a lot of mental health and mental training. So we touch on that. And then we dive into Vidit in the coaching world, who he's learned from, how he develops, how important getting a Lundy Fetterman School of Business MBA is to his program. He's a current student. He has two years left of schooling along with the coaching. So this episode kicks off 2023. A lot of sports, a lot of mental health, a lot of international flavor. We talk about cooking and culture and, and how his Indian heritage is so important. So we dive into that with Vadid and enjoy our first episode of 2023. So Vadid, your story is fascinating to me mm -hmm. because one, we met at an orientation yeah. for the MBA program. Mm -hmm. Campbell has a business school here. Campbell's helping pay for your business school as yes. part of your GA work mm -hmm. with the tennis program. Yes. So I'm, I'm curious just off the top, right? So you're, you're coaching professionally, you're training, you're, you're playing. How do these GA things come about? Because not every sport has that, right? Like how did you find Campbell and how did they find you? Um, so I, I did not have anything decided or planned for myself. I was just being back home trying to figure out what I can do with my tennis. And then uh, there's a... Intern I ITA, like the intercollegiate tennis mm -hmm. website that I was going through trying to look for some opportunities because I was like, if I want to get back uh, to tennis, I would rather be in college tennis because I loved it so much. And then I just saw a posting up from uh, Campbell that uh, they are looking for a grad assistant for the men's tennis. So I just sent Coach Johnson an email. I think it was probably like June or mid-June or something. And I wasn't sure how fast can we work out uh, I mean, everything on the academic side could have could be done in like a month or so, but the major issue with me was the visa right. and getting an appointment for the visa. Since after COVID, we have like a waiting time for two months, three months, four months, or something back home. So um, I just saw the posting, uh, sent him an email, and uh, luckily everything went on smoothly on my side at least. I mean, it was just. Wait and wait. Just the stressful part, right? Yes. Of not knowing all what it's going to exactly. happen. Exactly. So uh, I came here, I remember it was like 17th of August, and I was still, uh, I still hadn't had my visa on hand a week before that. So I booked my tickets on 15th, left on 17th, and came here on 17th, yeah. 
Oh, my gosh. I mean, so much of that. Because for folks who don't know, you, mm-hmm. you graduated from Monmouth University. Uh, no, I graduated from Buffalo. Oh, that's right. You competed yeah. at both. Yes. So I transferred. So I started my career at Monmouth, and then I transferred to Buffalo. And then I took a four-year break from college tennis, and then I came back again at Campbell. I, I just imagine. Now, I know teams travel, but playing in Buffalo, you had to have an indoor facility, right? Uh, yes. So we used to play at a nearby club okay. because the, the college doesn't have one. They would probably have one soon, I'm hoping. But uh, it's just impossible to play outdoors there, even in April and May. So, yeah, we used to uh, drive to a nearby place. Uh, actually, it's also the owner of the place used to be one of my teammates when mm. back when I was there. So it, ha- it helps. It feels homely. That's incredible because <coughs> for folks who don't know, Collegiate tennis in the United States, mm-hmm. it does have a very international flavor to yes. the rosters, to the players, mm-hmm. even to the coaches, like you mentioned. For, for you as an international coming to the States and when you're playing at, at Monmouth and, and Buffalo, what was that culture aspect like when all your teammates came from different areas of the world? I think the biggest aspect of uh, playing for a tennis team, I would say, is first and foremost, you start understanding each and every accent because uh, you're having uh, Europeans, you're having Africans, you're having Latin Americans in the team. and um, So everyone doesn't have English as their first language. And uh, basically, just by being around them, you also start to understand how they view their life, how their perspective towards life is. And um, I think I've had a really <coughs> interesting time of my life with the people I've been a part of. Uh, the team with uh, probably like three or four Americans over four years and 30 internationals, so (laughs) not bad. (laughs) I I mean, on on one hand, that has to be such a neat experience because Mm -hmm. college itself is this little experiment where you meet people from all over, but then not only all over the U.S., but you mentioned Africa and South America and Mm -hmm. and, and Asian countries. That's something that's so hard to fathom. That That would seem fascinating as a student. It, it does, but I think uh, tennis overall is an international sport because before we get into college, we are still playing the international tournaments and more or less tennis players are used to traveling by themselves. So I traveled a lot around the world being age 16 to 18 by myself. Um, so I was kind of used to being around internationals, being at a place where it was not home, but like Half of the year we are staying outside of our country, so that kind of you know get used gets gets you used to the how the feel would be like. The only difference was we here were staying with our teammates, so we kind of started getting more adaptable and adjustable to different things. To be able to travel the world at, at such <coughs> a young age, right? Because you're 14 to 18, you're playing every best international player in the world at these mm-hmm. huge tournaments. What was the best part of that? Um, I would say just start getting much more responsible and accountable for different stuff. I mean, I see people at the age of 18, 20 years old who are not even uh, h- out of their house for probably they, they never left, left their place. They don't know how to figure out the things by themselves. They can't manage their stuff. But I think for for most of us who are in sports, probably, uh, individual sports, to be honest, we're just used to uh, figuring stuff out, like 
we have a flight with what that's at 4 or 5 a.m we need to wake up at 2 uh, plan the whole thing around and then fly from one country to another to then one more and then come back home after three or four weeks so it's just all the management stuff you need to do the time management the money management and uh, food is also a big issue because you just can't eat anything and everything everywhere you need to make sure that you're under a certain budget it uh, it doesn't hamper with your fitness well especially in a sport like tennis where yes i think of the most athletic maybe athlete ever rafael mm-hmm. nadal yeah and how physical he is on the court and how much movement and yeah. you can't eat a cheeseburger and expect it to compete well we, we can if we have played for like five hours of a match and then end up having a, a going uh, ordering in a pizza and stuff but it's just for like uh filling up for the extra calories that we have burned but yeah that's uh, that's that's one of the most uh it just makes you learn uh, how to get more discipline. That's it. I'm always curious because I, we've dealt with soccer athletes and tennis athletes and golf where international is more accustomed to coming to the States. How does one get recruited by a college coach? Because I, I understand coaches travel and maybe come find you, but as an athlete, how do you try to present what you can do for these collegiate coaches? Uh, I mean, it's different now as we see a lot of stuff happening over social media. You have the internet, which makes it much easier to connect with the coaches. Uh, but it's also like a lot of people don't have the knowledge as to how to get in touch with them or what exactly do the coaches want. And uh, when we basically what we do is just we have like a resume, like an athlete resume, in which in which we have all of our results, the rankings, the ratings, and we just probably what I would do was to uh, take a certain conference and then p- start searching in the direct directory about the head coaches, send everyone an email, and then move to another conference and then move to another conference. So this is how you just anyone and everyone who you can uh, reach out over email. Uh, if you don't get an email back in a couple of days, I would say call them up. They probably won't answer. Call them up again <laughs> till they pick it up. So that was something I did. That, that seems kind of nerve-wracking, right? Because it's not just I have hit, <coughs> hitting this button to apply to a college. Yeah. It's I need to call the coach or find who is the coach and then basically plead my case as to why I should be on their team. Yes, unless you are like the top 10, top 20 in the world in juniors, you can get recruited by probably every major five, power five schools. Uh, if you're not, uh, you end up in this category of sending emails to 200 coaches, calling about 100 of them, and you also have to understand the time difference. You cannot call call them up at the 9 a.m., which is in India because it's, what, like uh, 5.30 uh, p.m. on the East Coast. So you have to understand. And so I usually started adjusting myself, calling them up when it was night at my place or almost sleep time. So that's how it usually works. Once you come to the States, then you get the collegiate experience. And to give some background on you, Vadit, you won multiple <coughs> conference titles mm-hmm. as a doubles and, a, and as a singles. Your team went to what they call the NCAA Tennis Tournament, yes. the best 64 programs. And tennis, a little different on the collegiate level than the professional level. There's doubles and singles, and you get points based on who does well and what competition. But to be able to compete at the highest level in the United States and, and play for an NCAA title, I know your teams didn't maybe make it to the Final Four or to the elite level, but to get even to the tournament. What did you enjoy about that process? I think it was smaller things about making the whole 
the, the teamwork that you, that you put in. I think we always used to credit the, the early morning workout because uh, it just makes you feel much more relaxed towards the end of the day that you accomplished so much when kind of everyone else was sleeping or not doing their part. Uh, that was a much, much more of a mental boost. And then we used to train just sometimes it's just I won't say it's stupid or absurd, but it's just like NCAA just has a rule of not training more than 20 hours. Right. And um, I still feel like it was good from what all we did. A major difference about doing it for 20 hours as a limit and then doing it towards the pro, which is the main thing, because 20 hours you convert it, it's basically like a part time job. And if you are going to play professional, it's supposed to be more than a full-time job. So that is a big difference between the collegiate level and the pro level. But from all that I've lived and I did, uh, it was interesting. Tried to do our best with what we could have it as a part of a mid-major program. Uh, definitely, it would always have been an, to be uh, inside the Sweet 16. Uh, really difficult for a mid-major to do it. But uh, it just depends on how uh, dedicated the players are and should be possible. You bring up a great point, too, because that jump <coughs> from the collegiate level to the professional, and in every sport it's different, but mm -hmm. in tennis you competed in what's called the ITF Futures Tour. Yes. Give me a sense of, because it's not necessarily the professional tour, you're not playing in Wimbledon and Roland Garros, but mm -hmm. what is that level like when you go to that ITF Tour? So to put it in the nicest of words, uh, it is the most depressing place to play tennis in, uh, honestly speaking, because uh, you're just traveling by yourself, going into, no offense to anyone, but like third world countries, you're traveling to Egypt, you're traveling to Tunisia, hmm. and then uh, some nicer places, but those are expensive. So um, the college is not paying for you, to be honest. So you have to figure out a way to uh, meet your needs, meet your ends, and then uh, try to perform when um, everything is just not as per your convenience. Futures is one of those places where you'll see like everyone who has graduated from the college and wants to get into the pro circuit is playing. You'll also see some of the eternal players of Futures who've been playing those levels of tournaments since like last 10, 12 years because they just don't feel like getting out of tennis or something. It's really, really competitive. Mm. But it also has like, it's not glamorous at all. You see a lot of betting happening in those places. Uh, people selling off their matches to make money because you just cannot, you know, make money on the tour. Right. And um, sad reality of uh, tennis as a sport is that you don't make money unless you're in top 100, 120. And after that, you're just breaking even. And you need sponsors to break even, otherwise it's just burning a hole in your pocket. So that's that's the it's a very big difference. It reminds me of golf a lot. There's similar <coughs> levels and mm -hmm. tours, and then, like you said, you only win money if you win the tournament, right? Like yeah. you can do very well in that individual matchup in Egypt, right? And you're not winning it. Well, then you go home with zero dollars, and there's still bills to pay. There are because um, I think the futures, the closest, the smallest one starts at 15k. Dollar uh, 15k, which is actually the total prize money for the oh. tournament. So you usually end up getting 15% to the winner of singles, which is three, three and a half grand. And you staying at a place, um, going to Egypt from any part of the world, 
staying there for a week to win a tournament, you're usually spending at least 100 to $150 a day with stay and food. And then it's the tickets that you play that that's the most expensive part. So I don't think you end up making money in future. It's just like you play uh, and you spend the money that you're getting, but you start going backwards. So if a winner gets three and a half K, the person who loses the final gets half of it. And the person who loses in the semis gets even half of that. So it's just, everyone's burning a hole. It's just who's burning a bigger hole, basically. Oh my gosh. And I hate to bring you down that depressing yeah. route, right? Because I know it's a fun experience and you get to continue playing. And after, you did that for about three years? I did for two years until COVID hit, yeah. Mm. What drew you into the coaching realm then? So, um, to be honest, I wasn't a big fan of coaching uh, because I did a few summer jobs here and there when I was in college and I um, literally could not stand five to 10 year old kids on the court and just feels like it's a different kind of culture back home and in US where you know you just can't say anything to kids or you just can't scold them or just reprimand them in a, in different ways and it's just like and to paint the picture for yeah. people this is summer camps they'll do exactly. some swimming they'll do some board games they'll have tennis mm -hmm. different competitions and then maybe yes. in the afternoon they'll play a, a singles or doubles match so it's it's very sort of like you see with kids like you said 5 to 10 just to give people an idea mm -hmm. of what you're saying yeah so um first of all i'm like what am I doing with my life when I'm trying myself to be a professional, when I'm trying to put my 100% commitment and effort into something? And there's people on the other side who just don't care about it and the effort that I put in. It's just like you're putting in the respect and you're not getting it. So I was pretty much against coaching, and I was so happy that I graduated, went back home, and I was trying to play on the tour. But even playing on the tour, that's a lot of uh, factors that uh, are into there. And unfortunately you also have to be fortunate enough in terms of drawing someone at a certain uh in a certain tournament playing against someone you can end up playing uh like extremely high ranked players which makes it difficult for you to win a round or get into the main draw and so basically you have to be ready to compete against guys who are like 300 350 in the world mm. when you're not even ranked uh, right up of the college and you're just trying to make your mark known and then um, when COVID came, I was like in a dilemma as to what I should do because I just want, didn't want to stay off on my parents' money. Uh, so I had a deep thinking, lockdown helped me with that. So I was like, I maybe can, what I can do is in order to pay for my tournaments, on the other side, I can take up coaching, which is going to pay for my expenses. So at least for a shorter period of time, I don't have to rely on my parents. Um, <coughs> but I was sure that if I'm putting my effort into something, I would rather try train a junior mm -hmm. player who is eyeing to become a professional player. And to my to my luck, I did found, find someone who uh, she, her parents reached out to me, we had some mutual contacts. Um, they have, they had the resources to do it. Uh, they have a tennis court at their own place, oh which gosh. makes it, which makes Especially it, during COVID. yes. So which makes it easier. So they reached out to me like you will have a free reign, but we have to figure out a way in a long term as to how we can get along. And also, to my good luck, it was uh, we all had the same kind of a mindset as to what we all can do as a team. So he got me more into coaching. And his previous background, before he was a businessman, 
he used to also be one of the most famous and the most uh, successful speed skating coaches. So I got wow. to learn a lot from him. Uh, he's a mentor today for me. And I still reach out to him when there's certain difficulties or to, there are a lot of things involved with coaching, which from his experience, he can help me a lot with. And then I decided that I need to take a step up my career. And if I'm thinking of being in coaching, there is not a better bu uh, bunch of players than being a part of a team where you are training and giving back to someone who are 18 and 22, help them, sh help them shape their lives into a certain thing and make them successful and be a part of their success is kind of what draws me towards being in college and coaching them. So that's, that's it for me. That's really neat because <coughs> you literally lived it, <laughs> what, five, six years ago, and now you're repeating that cycle of you take these young, impressionable kids and yeah. you help them whether they want to play professionally or just be really good at the college level. That would seem very rewarding. Yes. I mean, staying on the college side, I started understanding a few different things, which was sometimes how I could have been a, a, a prick to my coach during the last two years especially and how he used to handle me. And it's difficult because at that time I was only thinking from my perspective. And now when I'm approaching anyone on the team here and trying to talk them through something, I would rather say like, what would the previous with it do or what could I have done and what I was thinking and then probably try to talk to them as to what is much more um, approachable to them because every player is unique. Uh, unlike a team sport, or I don't know how other coaches treat, but I think my philosophy would more or less be like, you cannot talk to everyone in a certain manner because everyone responds to it in a different manner. So I'd rather start from something that can, uh, you know, get me closer to them. Uh, I would be there like as a support, I would back them up. But I also feel like there has to be a fine line between being a, a friend and a coach, mm. which probably should not be crossed. And uh, I would rather keep it that way. And some, some coaches might not agree to that, but uh, to each their own, they say. So that's, that's something like I would help and want them to be successful, be a part of their success, just a small part it is. But I'm pretty much sure that probably a decade on, they would remember and feel the difference that I made in their lives. And probably they could do that for someone else that they encounter in their professional lives afterwards. I love that point you brought up <coughs> because tennis is probably the most different sport from any other. You mentioned the individual one-on-one, -on -one, but two, in the professional ranks, coaches aren't even allowed on the court. Yeah. Like they sit away from the court, they have their private area, and in college there's a little more hands-on, but I, I'm curious because we see coaches in every sport, they can micromanage and they can be all over the kids and try to tell them what to do, but how do you handle coaching? Because you can in tennis, you can't tell them everything in the world. It, it's just too much information. So um, basic, basically, it's just try to be as simplistic as you can. So if you, in college tennis, as you said, like we can be on the courts, we can discuss certain things with them, but I always found like it's much better <coughs> if a player figures stuff by themselves on the court, they adapt and adjust to it and then change the certain things because we can only see a few things from the outside. Maybe one or two things can make a difference, uh, but if it could have made a difference, like coaching on the court could have made a major difference, then we would have seen a lot of college players performing very well on the, on the tour because they are getting coaching for four years in a row. 
And then when they go get on the pro tour, it's just like there's no coach. But it doesn't make that much of a difference to me because it's the whole aspect of tennis is it's the essence of being alone on the court. You're fighting yeah. your own battle. You're doing uh, basically it's just like a battle for every point. You get a chance to fight again and then chance to fight again. So when you're doing that, it's just you're living, you're struggling, you're you're enjoying every every emotion that you're feeling you get like you see a lot of people getting frustrated on the court it's just you are being in an arena but that's like hundreds and thousands of people watching you um there's you're on the tv you you are someone's idol you are someone's like a major role model or something and it's the alone aspect like the lonely aspect of you being on the court that differentiates you because if you can do certain things on a tennis court you can face rest of the world if you're alone. So that is the biggest teaching tennis can give you. That mental hurdle you mentioned, especially as an athlete, you can speak to this, but when things aren't going well and you're battling these demons in your head, how do you try to psychologically get through some of those moments? It's it's different for everyone. Um, I've had a lot of coaches being a part of my life, I'll probably say like, five or six of the coaches that I've been with over my um, life before getting into college, then three different coaches while I was in college, one during when I was training, doing a training stint in Spain, and then one after I get back to my country. So six, six different coaches, all, all six have a different approach to how you can handle the mental aspect of it. But most of the things everyone says is, first, you, you need to understand that what's happening to you is it's just for a temporary phase. I mean, you can get out of the court and it just doesn't affect you anymore. But it, it can be going on for like six months. You can have different difficult phases of injury, not winning a certain match or anything. Uh, you cannot play. You cannot feel good. It can be for months or it can be for days. It can be for years. But it's just that you have to accept it and then on a certain day, I think the, the coach that made the most difference to my life said once that just focus on what you can control mm. and stop thinking about what you cannot. So on a certain day, if something's working, just stay with it. If everything's working, probably you're one, one of the luckiest guys in the world because that's ha that only happens less than 10% of the day. Enjoy it to the fullest. And rest 90% of the times, be ready to figure out what's working and just stick with it. And just keep fighting. That's that's the only thing. Keep fighting on the court. It can be anything. So a tennis match basically depicts a life, the life. And if you're getting thrown hurdles and if you can overcome it, it's it's well and good. The emotion of tennis, and, and even years and years ago, the McEnroe brothers, and you would see how they play with this emotion. And you see Serena play with that. Yeah. And, and she'll get on referees sometimes, but <coughs> she is such an elite, high-performing athlete. I could... It reminds me so much of it kind of like basketball a little bit where Kobe Bryant, you know, he's so mentally focused yeah. and then he has to fight off the, the foul he doesn't like or, or you name it. And, and I love that aspect of your sport because it truly is a challenge of me versus you, but also you versus yourself in your head. I think the first aspect is you versus yourself, because if you if you cannot overcome uh, certain things that you yourself throw into, you just cannot play at a certain stage because look at all the greatest athletes that you've seen everyone is talking about how you need to beat the guy in the mirror so you you take in the field of tennis you take roger federer for example he he's 
uh, the person who will see he's he just doesn't get flustered on the court he's just extremely calm and smooth on the court and you on the mm-hmm. other side you see uh, Rafa Nadal on the court he's extremely energetic and he's just living with emotions and you see Novak Djokovic trying to be on the either side but he he's in his own different role himself and then we have some um some different kind of personalities like Nick Kyrgios on one hand yeah. so uh <coughs> tennis makes you like, just basically tennis reveals your character and your personality so you can be something on the court and you can be something else outside but more or less what kind of personality you have and what traits you have is what you're going to sh- show during the tough times that you're going to be facing on the court and probably the same would be when you're having tough times outside of the court that split between the on court off court stuff that fascinates me i i played college football mm-hmm. like the junior <coughs> college and you you you're right because it's that i have this violence and i have to attack and and tackle this player but then I have to go off the court and be a nice human being. And yeah. I can't walk around with my head down and, and upset. And I can see how that in tennis, it's it's much the same. Yeah, you can, like, we, we get into each other's faces, but it's, as compared to the other American sports, trash talking is actually not a big part of tennis. I mean, you can see that here and there in college tennis, but I, I don't see trash talking anywhere happening in the, uh, in the pro circuit or anywhere where we have played outside of this country because it's just like, there's so much respect going on in the sport. I don't think apart from a few players, you would even say anything. Like every time you cross or you appreciate someone who plays even a good stroke. So I don't think that happening. If someone does a good three-pointer here in basketball, the person on the other side is probably going to speak some trash. And if you do that in the field of tennis, the person's going to clap for you. Yeah. So you see a, a big role difference when it comes to being a sports, I think, because you stay alone and you're fighting it all by yourself, and when someone else is doing good by putting in same efforts, you kind of understand and respect as to, okay, that person is doing better than me, then he's putting more hours than me, more or less, and he's putting in more effort and is much better than doing the things that I am doing at, and he probably deserves the respect for that. This is the Australian Open starting this week, and mm-hmm. it'll continue in the next week. Gosh, we're, we're spoiled with this golden generation of tennis. Yeah. I mean, you think of the three up top, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I know that Federer's ending his career, but still with Djokovic and, and Nadal for however long they choose to play. This was generation we grew up watching, was just the best of the best and truly elite. I, it got me into the sport, just seeing that high level. And I'm curious for you growing up in India, mm-hmm. what that was like experiencing some of the best playing when you were a kid. So for 15 years of my life, I've only seen Roger Rafa or either Novak towards the later part playing in the finals. So everyone was either on one of the three people's side. And now I think as we realize that it's coming to an end, like 15 years, 20 years of their tennis coming to an end and you see different people coming up here and there. I feel it was from a spectator's point of view, I would say it's it's sad that you won't see anything like them ever again. But from a tennis tennis perspective from an insider I would say it's good because it's giving uh, much more chances for the other people to come and rise Um, so before it was more like if you want to win a slam you need to defeat either of those two to win and now you're like okay they're at the end of their career maybe I can have a shot against one but most of the times it's only going to be just one or no one and if 
at the end of the day, you're going to have your name written in the books of history. Yeah. If you win one slam, so it's just going to be like more motivation and much easier to play against someone else because they are not as consistent on paper as of now. But I think Alcaraz is making a big difference with what he has been doing over the past year. He just pulled out of Australian Open. That was oh, sad. Right. Um, but let's see what the other people following, like Casper Ruud, Felix, they they all have to bring in the table. Yesterday, I saw Andy Murray pull off a really good five-setter match. Uh, not bad for a 35-36 year old with a metal hip to, oh to play for four and a half, five hours. And when he won Wimbledon in his home country, because you're right, <laughs> there were the pillars of the big three, yeah. and he finally broke through and won on his home court. That was one of the best days I'd ever seen, because for years it was, oh, who could defeat Federer at Wimbledon? Yeah. And it was so difficult, and Rafa could never do it, and then he would dominate on clay, and you know Djokovic would dominate at the U.S. Open. It's like, who can, like Marin Cilic, mm-hmm. great career, but never had that big moment because he was always trapped, if you will, behind some of the best ever, and you know Jay Willie Songa and, and some others. Like they, they were super talented, but it just we're not going to remember them the way we think of all the, the Grand Slam titles the other three won. Yes, so they're not going to be like one of the goats because they haven't won those titles. But I think there were a lot of other players, including uh, Andy Roddick and Marty Fish, which could have been like the next generation of U.S. tennis, but just didn't work out for them. And they were not bad tennis players at all. Like They were extremely great, but they just had uh, to derail Fed Express. So if that was the case, I would say like there's a lot of them who have been who have not gotten the limelight that they deserved, but maybe there was some reason why these guys deserved it more than someone else because they were just present when no one else was present. Just like fighting against odds, playing worse tennis, and coming back to Andy Murray, he did break the barrier. And for a time, it was like top four and not top three because he was playing a lot of finals, Mm -hmm. but he was just not able to get that win in the final. And eventually, when he did get it at Wimbledon, there was so much confidence that could be seen because just before or after Wimbledon, I think he also did the, the gold medal for the Olympics. Oh, right. And then he ended up playing one more, and he won one more slam. So for me, he, he has al- always been one of the more realistic guys to look up to because he was playing against this, and he kind of uh, did everything he could, fought uh, hard and then uh, probably did end up becoming, if not as much better as them at a certain point in their life. And unfortunately, because of his injuries and stuff, he had to cut his career short. Otherwise, you could have seen less of the other three Grand Slams and one more or two more from Andy Murray. That's fantastic, <laughs> Vidit. And, and I give you credit because... I didn't ask you off the top, and I was curious, what is the Indian tennis culture like? I know there's been mixed doubles success and some, some <coughs> individuals who've made progress, but from a, from a culture as a sport, I know soccer is so big and there's other sports and cricket is huge, but where does tennis fit into the mold in the Indian culture? That's a very interesting question because we have a, had a love-hate relationship with tennis so over years, and we do have a lot of doubles uh, players in the country, a lot of players who are in singles and then now moving into doubles <clears throat> it's sad and unfortunate that we don't have a single male tennis player in top 300 in the world where we have the second highest population in the world so i don't think 
there's anything um, specific, but I think we have much more experts, expert opinions as compared to myself. But being in the middle of the whole culture growing up there, I just felt like one thing we all have in common is that there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of potential in the country, but we don't, don't have what it takes to nurture them. Mm. We need to have a certain sort of system that is from the, the grassroots level as to what can be done in the long term. It's just, it's just not present. Whereas uh, we, we are one of the most successful countries in cricket because every kid that is born, maybe a year on or so, he has a bat in his hand and he's hitting a ball, like much more similar to how you guys play basketball and football here. And uh, the, the culture comes from the people around. And it, overall, India didn't have a sports culture. We were much more of the people who like give studies or academics much more focus and get a job or do something. Like you'll see a lot of people who are just in the educational. You'll see a lot of CEOs of different companies who belong to the Indian subcontinent, but you don't see a lot of sports players coming from there. It's a, it's a big thing about the culture in which it's trying to, maybe it will get changed in like a couple of decades yet, mm. but it's going to come when the association, the national association itself wants to make a difference and then try to give back much more than what it has to offer because we have like single players coming here and there. We need like a bunch of them coming at the same time and then again and again. But for that, you need to take help of the players who have actually done it in the past. I mean, um, I, I used to see Somdev as one of the players who would probably be a very much of a game changer for Indian tennis. And he did want or he still wants to help, but the National Association doesn't want to that much to do with him. So just like corruption politics probably oh, taking sure. a big role over, I don't know. Just that, That's international sport in yeah. general. It doesn't matter what sport. There's always, when money's involved in a lot of hands. The business side of it, so can't be helped. Good transition. We mentioned that you were getting this GA position to mm-hmm. work on a master's and a professional degree, so... You've started in the MBA program here at the business school, which is across the street from mm-hmm. where we're filming. Give me a sense, a few years removed from school, you're now coaching and, and balancing the classwork and, and the coaching side of it. What do you enjoy most about getting back into the academics again? I think after four years, the nicest thing was sitting back in the class, making some more connections as before. Um, if I was not doing his MBA, I might not have been uh, able to meet you and someone else a lot of other people in my life. I think I've made a lot of contacts now um, who I feel like, you know, it can help make a good network, basically help you a lot in life. Here and there you have some made some new friends in these new places. A lot of other internationals who are kind of going through the same issue. And as it comes to balancing those, I don't think it's much more difficult because in undergrad we were taking like four or five classes as compared to taking one or two when it comes to masters. It's just that I'm spending much more time around the tennis courts, trying to study much more of tennis. And uh, it's u- it usually feels like, even though it's like a graduate assistant, it feels more of a full-time job because I try to put in that much effort. Um, uh, and if I'm trying to put in that much effort, I try to do the same for uh, studying and doing. So I'm just trying to make stick up to staying on a good level of grades as far as uh, the GPA is concerned. Um, 
understanding what can be done and just using it back onto tennis, basically. Well, especially because we see the GPA reports for your teams mm-hmm. every year, all the different sports, and it's 3.4, 3.5, 3.6 with the both tennis, men's and women's. I know that culture is built with Coach Johnson and what you guys preach, but that has to motivate you a little bit too when you see these athletes that are all doing well in the classroom. Yeah, I mean, uh, I used to be one of them when uh, I think I had the highest GPA when I was back in undergrad, and I always used to be like, it's not... It, we we compete usually on the court. None of us have ever ever discussed about you know about grades. It's a very um, discreet thing, but it's just we compete a lot about grades when we are back home. But here we just don't think about it and just happens. But I think like sometimes you also feel like just just let it go. Just don't want to do that extra step because we're doing that in tennis. But I think since I've done it before. I feel like things are feeling much easier for me now. And, yeah, it does motivate me because we, we do have some guys on the team who are, like, clocking 4.0. And it just feels like, okay, if you can do it, I can do it as well, even though I'm a coach. So doesn't doesn't make that much of a difference. I wanted to ask you about the international culture here <coughs> on campus because you've been to different schools and yeah. you travel on these road trips. But here at Campbell University, it's not – near a beach it's not in a big city quote unquote so there is that community for you and interacting with other students that come from all over the world what has that culture been like what have you learned interacting with these kids so tennis team more or less is the same wherever you go Uh, a great great aspect of this Campbell men's team is that never ever have I been a part of a team where every player gets along with every player it's rare. It doesn't happen. And being a part of this team, it just feels like it's not just a great bunch of guys. It's just everyone supports each other, whatever it is, and they're, they're extremely close to each other. And as far as the community about internationals being here, Campbell is it doesn't have that, that many students, so it doesn't have a lot of internationals. And to be honest, as, as an Indian, I, I don't think, I think there's only a handful of Indians on campus, and mm. that makes it um, very difficult in, in many different ways because we are just used to being around Indian people and anywhere you go you'll just see a lot big of an Indian community doesn't matter what part of the world it is so I would say like it would make a difference if we have more internationals especially more Indian people but it's so far so good I mean I don't have any issues with being around people from different nationalities because I'm used to. Um, although there are certain things where you feel like there's certain festivals because we are away from home. Right. And we don't get a chance to go back home during those festivals. So we would rather try to spend it with the people that are around and the who, who have the same kind of importance as we have. And we don't have the holidays that are scheduled around our festivals. So that makes uh, it a little complicated and kind of a little homesick. And that's it, just staying in contact with friends and family helps. I I couldn't imagine. You know, I moved from Los Angeles, so I have a cultural difference, but by no means a different nation, a different holiday season. (coughs) Hey, these Americans are taking this Thanksgiving off, and it doesn't necessarily translate, you know, and then you start thinking about, well, what is my family? What are important days that we celebrate that not everyone does? So I give you a ton of credit because you came here to play collegiately which is one thing and then after going back home and and playing international 
to want to come back and train this team and with Campbell now. What have you enjoyed, because you look back and reflect from COVID to now, about diving into that journey and, and going into the coaching and now trying to pursue that master's too? So I felt like, I don't know why, but since I was like 14, 15 years old, it has always felt like coaching and making a difference has always made me feel better. Even if it was to some other player when I was playing or to some uh, younger cousins or friends or something, it, it always made me feel better. So I always felt and had a thought that maybe I could be a good coach at the at some time or at some point in my life. And here I am like eight years, 10 years down the line trying to uh, think of that way. So I felt like calling, calling has been uh, coaching has been one of my calling and if that's that and then if everything I mean there's always plans that you put but if if I put in the effort and which I am willing to I feel like there's going to be some big plans for me over the next decade and I, I can't wait to uh, you know to, to go through this phase to get to that point and then see where it leads me you are working with and mentoring with Coach J David Johnson on campus, who's been here almost 30 years in, in one spot. I know not everyone has that dream of coaching for 30 years collegiately, right? But what do you learn from him who's, who's been in a role you are now and has excelled for decades and decades? Probably say the biggest thing I understood probably a week from my presence around him was just how to deal with players like there are certain things you know you you cannot speak in a certain environment and you have to be extremely cautious with your words because it's once you speak you cannot take them back and i feel like he's he's extremely good at being around people um he knows a lot about the stuff what that he's doing since we i learn a lot from his experience um obviously being two different people and he's been in this thing since um, coaching since 30 years. I don't. I haven't even been in this field for three years. Uh, thus, I have a lot of questions that I keep asking him. A lot of different kinds of management issues as to how you do this, how you do that. But I feel like it's. It, I'm learning a lot from him. Uh, there's a, a, there's a lot to not just learn, but also to um, figure out as to what you can do for f future couple of years because the, this process is ongoing. The, the kids come and they graduate and it's a different life for them but it's the same because every year you're doing the same um there's two people going out you need two people coming in next year so it's a never-ending process that you're doing and i think it, it takes guts and it takes discipline because he i think he wakes up at like 5 a.m and he's oh he's, he's up since then he goes goes to bed at night and this used to be my my life when i was like uh, 15, 16, we're going to bed at 10, waking up at 6, and the whole life starts. And now I think being around people, trying to adjust your life according to the people, it's just like you try to do it, but you have homework coming up, so you cannot sleep before 12. I just tired. I just want to watch one more episode of this TV show or something, or you're just listening to this podcast, just listening to this summit, and just trying to attend certain things, and it just doesn't work, and it's just sacrificing on the sleep i'd like to learn from him how can you how can you not sacrifice on sleep go to bed at 9 9 30 wake up at 5 and always ready to go what uh for folks to learn more about you what show and what podcast are you watching right now um just that i'm i'm too much into um learning tennis hmm. so i listen 
and it's not like there's something called a tennis summit. It comes around every year. Okay. And I make a note of it. I make notes from it. I take a look at it and I keep going back to those lectures again and again, probably like a year on, a year on, until I've gotten done with them for three, four times. I can take everything I have to extract from that. And just to, you know, when I'm on my chill mode, I usually open up whatever's on Netflix. Uh, there's there's not any new Indian TV shows uh, coming up. Some currently uh, going and watching Lucifer. Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's it for now. Probably one episode a day is <laughs> is is that all I have the time for. And um, usually I'm a big big fan of Indian music. It's always around me, and I have a lot of uh, have had a lot of spanish friends mm -hmm. and still have a few few people around whose major language is spanish i also am a big fan of the spanish music oh my gosh do you get a chance to in to put any of your culture in with this team or with this group i know there's there's serbians there's latvians you know all over the world right on the yeah. team but when you get a chance to say hey it's my day to share some culture what do you like to share with your players uh, well biggest part of indian culture is that um we we treat everyone as as a guest so um, whatever you can learn from Indian culture, I would say is uh, I think that was one of the aspects where I like to keep them together and bring them together again and again. So I think, as I mentioned before at the start of the, the podcast was I, I got them over for uh, dinner once at my place, just as a team bonding activity it was. I would probably have it again again this semester sometime when uh, I have the means to do it. And then uh, when I have certain festivals, it's all the festivals back home. It's like you celebrate with your family together. So I try to make sure that if not a small thing, but just having a meal or some uh, ordering some food or some sweets and we just can have it together as a team. And that that's all. And I kind, kind of feel like this team is pretty responsive. Uh, always there's the a difference of culture, but they're very good at accepting what is present in the other culture and like okay it open to learning more so that's that's good it's it's crazy that the men's tennis season stretches from basically now until you can go into may june you know late in the year if you're playing really well so <laughs> best of luck this season i know Thank it started you. in september with the first <laughs> yes. fall scrimmages which is crazy so i know you and coach johnson are into some big things so Thank you for sharing more about your life because I was always curious. And I know people here at Campbell, uh -huh. you know, someone from a foreign country, different experience. So we, we've had a blast learning about you.